Okay, we have we have communion this morning as well, and so um, we've, we've taken a whole chunk of time to to do the covenant commissioning. So I'm not going to preach for much more than an hour. I really don't want to just cause any more trouble for people. It's just a few thoughts, um, really. I think when we when we have this uh, meeting once a year, it's a it's a good chance for us to remind ourselves what we're about and what some of our core beliefs and values are. Uh, you know, I I don't think you can say some of this stuff enough. So. If you've heard me say some of this stuff before, I'm just trying to say the same thing a thousand different ways. Because if we don't keep rehearsing what we're about, if we don't keep reminding ourselves why we exist, then you get mission drift. So it's really just the, the, the heart reason today of what we are about as we see it from the Bible. I think it's just a timely reminder for us when we make these promises just to revisit that stuff. And of course today is... Pentecost Sunday and uh, Pentecost for me has been a defining part of my journey. It's one of the reasons why I worship the way I do, why I practice my faith the way I do. It was actually a radical encounter with, with, with the Holy Spirit when I was probably uh, maybe, maybe 23 years old, I think. Uh, in Spring Harvest uh, in a budget accommodation room at Minehead at Butlins, which you would have heard me say before, some of you, but I was a what I would describe as a conservative evangelical Christian. For those of you that don't know what I'm going on about there, my view of God was robust. My view of the life, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ was robust. I became a follower of Jesus in what we call a Brethren Chapel, which was devoted to teaching the Bible. I thank God for that church, which actually no longer exists. But I thank God for that church because the elders there, the day I gave my life to Christ at age 18, after a little wobble, they actually took me aside. And one of those elders, a man called Ron Blows, every Sunday evening for a period of months, after church would take me back to his home sacrificially and he taught me the bible and 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 he taught me about the nature of god and i thank god for that man and for that church but what they didn't teach me was about the power of god they didn't teach me about the role of the holy spirit today they didn't teach me about heart and character so much they taught me about how to walk in holiness which i found actually a bit of a struggle because I am a bloke and I'm a human being and, and the world to me at age 18 looked like a smorgasbord of opportunity for messing around and trying to live a holy life in your own strength is very, very difficult and this is what it was to me. I felt like I should do certain things. I felt like I should share my faith. I felt like I should not swear. I felt like I should not have punch-ups anymore in Romford after a few beers with my mates. I felt like I, this should not be the way I was doing things, but that, that doesn't help you not do those things. Do you, do you understand? Or it doesn't help you do those things because that imperative of the Holy Spirit is not there. And then I went to Spring Harvest in, uh, at the age of maybe 22, 23. I can't remember which year. And uh, a man called Clive Calver was preaching 
who was head of the Evangelical Alliance at the time, and the Toronto blessing, as so-called, was kicking off, and, and I thought it was the most demonic thing I'd ever seen in my life. And uh, people were rolling around on the floor laughing in meetings and doing all kinds of crazy things and crawling around. And, and, I, and I thought, this is just despicable. This is not worship to a holy God. And I had a right hump. And uh, Karen and I, uh, out of humility, actually went forward for prayer. And, um, and that was a disastrous occasion, which I haven't got time to go into now. Needed to say, Karen went off crying and I went off feeling angry. Back to my budget accommodation room. And, uh, and I was angry what I'd seen and I was angry at what I thought was an abuse of the faith and I was angry at uh, seeing my uh, wife, we made at 22, hurt and upset and uh, I went back to the room on my own and long story short, the glory and power and presence of the Holy Spirit was swept into this budget accommodation room. You couldn't make it up because the room was scummy. I mean, it was like, it was like Stalagla 4 on a good day. You know, it was just terrible rough gray sheets stained and horrible toilet damp cold miserable horrible and ridiculously expensive for what it was and uh, and everything about it was making me chippy it was a horrible room there was no atmosphere there was no bethel music playing in the background there was not a sad puppy dog story that made me feel emotional not that they do anyway uh, there was no setup but the glory, power, and presence of God swept into that room and changed my life forever. And I, and I went back home from Spring Harvest, and my first mate I told about Jesus after that gave his life to Christ instantly. And then I, I found that I didn't want to do some things I'd been doing before, not because I knew that I should not, but because Jesus loved me. And I knew deep in my heart, Jesus loved me. And that has never gone away, despite years of ducking and diving and ups and downs and all kinds of shenanigans. What has never left me is that deep in my heart, knowledge and truth, you cannot shake away from me that Jesus loves me. And even when everything's falling apart or I've got loads of questions, do you know what? I cannot shake away the fact that Jesus loves me. So I do not do those things because Jesus loves me. You know, I do the things I do because Jesus loves me. And that was all the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. And in Romans 8.15, if we were to talk about Pentecost, for me, they're the most powerful verses that make me now what I would call a charismatic evangelical Christian. The reason is Romans 8.15, where, where you cry, by the Holy Spirit, we, know, we cry, Abba, Father, and know that we are children of God, or sons of God, it says, actually, because we are all inheritors, and the sons were seen as the primary inheritors in the Bible, but it says we are all sons. We all have, we all have access to God the Father. So by the Holy Spirit, we cry, Abba, Father, or Dad, and know that we are God's children. You cannot manufacture that. You cannot make that happen. You can't tell yourself often enough that God is your dad in heaven and make yourself feel it. it. It is a complete work of the Holy Spirit. And I've had two stages of growing in knowledge of that and that has been absolutely foundational for me. The reason I'm saying that is not just because it's Pentecost Sunday. The reason I'm saying that is because in the four very brief points 
I want to put out there today, my understanding of our churches, we will never we will never see these things roll out amongst us unless we completely 100% pursue God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit all together. We must be a church that is that is flowing in the power of the Holy Spirit because we cannot go out and tell our town in our own strength about Jesus Christ. We will never have hearts of worship unless the Holy Spirit is leading and guiding us and propelling us forward. Do you see what I'm saying? It's all flows from, from God the Holy Spirit. And so that inner dwelling of his presence, that anointing of his presence, to me is such a critical thing. And that's why we offer to pray for people. And that's why Encounter tonight is such an important time for us if we can possibly get there. Sometimes I can't get there, but I think if we can, it's such a good thing to do because it's a chance for extended worship and to bathe yourself in the presence of God. I've got four little brief points that spin out of that uh, rambling introduction, which I feel are quite important for us as values for our church. And, and I believe our highest calling as individuals and as a church, actually, and I say this as an out-and-out, rampant evangelist, I still think our highest calling is to worship God. I believe that's what we were made for, uh, first and foremost. There's this verse, there's two verses to bring out. One is 1 Corinthians 10, I'll flow straight into Colossians 3. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. How do you do that? I'm never sausage baguette, to the glory of God. How do you do that? What, is, what does that mean? That is a question. I think that is a fair question. Whatever you do, riding my motorbike to work, to the glory of God. Building a house, to the glory of God. Finishing off some accounts, to the glory of God. Signing off a budget, to the glory of God. Fixing someone's health, to the glory of God. Loving your kids, to the glory of God. Loving your neighbour, to the glory of God. The devout Jew would give everything to the glory of God. They even thank God. I'm not being I'm not being out of order. They even thank God, the devout Jew, and they go to the toilet, that they have their health and that they're functioning properly. Everything to the glory of God. That's true actually. Do you know why? Because they know that nanosecond by nanosecond, moment by moment, it is only by the grace of God that you live and breathe. That's it. We'll sit here this morning feeling all kinds of thoughts about London. and We'll sit here this morning having all kinds of opinions about the covenant service. We'll drive home and get chippy about someone who carves you up. and You might have some dinner in the oven and get slightly burnt because you're a bit late. You might have run out of your favourite coffee at the coffee table. And all of those thoughts and opinions can only be had because of the grace of God. That's it. And when you get that, and that is a work of the Holy Spirit, when you get that, then you really worship. Then you really worship. And when I, when I find myself, which is hopefully rare, when I find myself getting all chipped up about something, the best thing you can do is put yourself in a corner and think, only by the grace of God can I even feel like that. Everything I have is totally dependent on his mercy. 
everything. In the great revivals of the 1800s, they'd have these stumbling preachers who would read their sermons in faltering voices. Guys like Jonathan Edwards would read their sermons and, and, and with fear and trembling. I mean, when you look at them, almost quite dull. And would say, you know, and I also think that God is saying in a really like faltering, trembling voice because I had the fear of God. And yet people would crawl out from the church trying to get to the front to cling on to the mercy benches at the front because they thought they were going to fall into hell. There were stories of people clinging onto their seats because they'd have vision of hell beneath them and a thread of God's grace holding them from hell tied to their heads. Do you know what that was? That, uh, that you cannot manufacture that. That is, that is God the Holy Spirit saying, do you know it's all my grace? Do you know the home you drive back to, the food you eat, it's all my grace, everything. You've nothing by yourself. You've got nothing. It's all grace, everything. When you get that, then man, you'll stick a hand in the air and you'll worship your saviour. You'll jump up and down. You'll jump for joy because you've been saved. And everything's God's grace. Do you see what I'm saying? I mean, it's, it's an amazing truth when you come to it. And it is a fact that one day we will all be together by God's grace in heaven singing the eternal song. And it will be awesome. And then you will really be worshipping. And you won't care whether it's a guitar, a, a bongo drum, a harp be like, I just want to sing the eternal song because your heart will be full. You know, in a loud voice it says in Revelation 5.12, Worthy is the Lamb who is slain to receive power, wealth and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and praise. And we'll sing that song for eternity. You might think, ooh, that sounds a little bit repetitive and dull, but it won't be because a thousand years will be like a moment. And there'll be all kinds of stuff that we'll be doing. I believe that from the Bible, actually. It'll be an amazing, dynamic experience, and we will sing the eternal song. So when we get together on Sunday, or midweek, or in the evenings at Encounter, this is our chance to start to kind of reflect heaven, really, and start to really demonstrate that we understand we're saved by grace. It's all the work of the Holy Spirit. I hope as a church we really grow in that understanding. Like we really grow in it. What a difference our meetings will be. What a, different, what a different sound we will have when we all really get that. We'll use our money differently. We'd use our time differently. We'd sing with abandon, I tell you. Sometimes, actually, when I'm standing at the front, I can hear some people singing with abandon, maybe slightly out of tune on occasion. And I think, oh, I like that. That's someone really giving it some welly because they know they're saved by grace. And I want to praise their saviour. More of that, I say. As long as we don't raise streamers. Because I don't like them. I, don't, I think that's, that's not a God thing. That's just a really terrible, terrible thing. Uh, okay. Only joking if you like a streamer, as long as you're under 10. The second thing that is really tremendously important to us as a church, and I think 
under-worshipping God, this would be next thing, and you'd expect me to say that, is make Christ known. That's what this is about. We worship God, and we make Jesus Christ known to our town and wherever God sees it fit to deploy us. Because only Jesus Christ can roll back the darkness. Only Jesus Christ can transform lives. Only Jesus Christ can make the difference. I hope you hear me say that so many times you get bored of me saying it, because I'm a one-trick pony. I've got no other answer. I, I, I look at the horror of this morning. To wake up to that news this morning just made me feel sick to my stomach. There'll be people waking up today who've lost loved ones because of some abysmal, horrific, evil, wicked act. And that's what it is. But you know what? And I put this on Facebook. Light always overcomes darkness. Always. And the light is Jesus Christ. And so we respond differently to the world. But the only thing that will change our planet, the only thing that will change our nation, the only thing that will change towns and villages and communities of all sizes is Jesus Christ. And you know the old adage, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? We change our society, towns, villages and communities one person at a time. Life by life by life by life. And we do that for our friendships. We do that through Alpha. And excuse me for being boring, but I do just want to remind you how powerful this is. So forgive me if I've even shown you this picture before, but I can't remember. So I'm going to show it anyway, uh, Q Branch. This is, a, this is a picture of a man called Joe who I, I have the privilege of working with uh, on a daily basis. Joe is there pictured, age 31, signing his first job contract. Apologies if I showed you this before, but it's so important. That's him at 31, signing his first job contract. He grew up in a relatively okay environment, but then got into crime and got into drugs and was in a prison. He injected his brother with heroin and injected him too much, and his brother died in front of him. Then his best mate dies. He killed his brother by injecting him with heroin. Then his best mate also died from heroin. He found his mum dead in the flat. The reason he knew his mum had died was the smell coming out of her bedroom. He found a decaying body. Everything about his life was absolutely wrecked, an absolute nightmare. He was a nightmare to himself. He was a nightmare to everyone around him. Everything was falling apart, and then something happened. You know what it was? You can probably guess it, can't you? He met Jesus Christ. The drug stopped. The villainy stopped. And that's him signing his first ever job contract a couple of months ago with us. And now he's a chef. He's just been serving 10,000 people at a big church day out tweeting, I can't believe I actually get paid to do this. His life is completely different. And he actually is an evangelist as well. And he stood up at our enterprise centre and gave a testimony about how God has changed his life and how God will use him. Only Jesus Christ can make the difference. And there'll be people whose lives are a train wreck. And then there'll be people's lives who aren't train wrecked in the way that we would think they are. But they might have all kinds of issues under the surface. May on the surface look absolutely like everything's fine but they don't know the grace of their saviour. They don't know the transforming power of Jesus Christ. They don't know the shalom and peace that God can give. And they may not know that they face an eternal decision because so many people think this life is it. 
then I snuff it and that's it. But it's not, is it? There's a decision to make. And so we've got to do our utmost to help people make the best decision they can for Jesus. And we believe here that to become a follower of Jesus, as it says in Acts 2 and it says in Acts 16, when Paul and Silas were talking to the jailer and the jailer says, what must I do to be saved? Which is a, what a question to be asked. I hope you're all ready when someone asks you that question. Because I think there are going to be more people asking those questions in the years ahead. What must I do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's your answer. Let me tell you the hope that I have in Jesus Christ. We, we believe here that people have to make a decision. They have to repent, make a U-turn, follow Jesus Christ wholeheartedly, and then we baptise them as a symbol of dying to old way of life and being raised to new life. And that for us is a core value. Worship God, make Christ known, put your faith and hope in Jesus Christ. The third thing I'll say is we also got to be about making disciples. So it's not just a decision and then we're like kind of a little bit nominal on it. Actually, we want a disciple-making church where, where it's not like a sausage factory where we're just like churning out Christians <laughs> like disciples. Actually, when you come in here, you make a decision for Jesus Christ and then over time, you build with your passion for the Bible, your passion for worship, your passion to make Jesus known. And you're not like inviting people to Alpha and stuff because you know you have to do it. You're doing it because you love your God and it shines out of you. I mean, I, I would love it if people looked at me and they could tell the difference, but I just suspect you my beard, haircut and slightly grumpy demeanor, it don't happen. But I'd like to think that through my conduct, people can tell the difference. I'd like to think that. I'd like to think that the way I respond with the opposite spirit makes a difference. The way I respond to someone when someone upsets me in the street makes a difference. The way I deal with people being like exhibiting evil towards me, I'd like to think I reply in a way that shows a difference. I'd love that for this church. I'd love us to so grow in character, depth, faith, hope, trust in Jesus Christ and have such a robust understanding of his grace saved by a thread of God's grace in all circumstances people just see the difference the way we open our homes the way we practice hospitality Dan read from Romans 12 the way we love our enemies the way we the way we live generous lives I firmly believe that the people in the churches in Chesterfield should be the most generous people in Chesterfield, the most open-homed, the most warm, the kindest. We don't use that word very often, do we? Kind, but so lacking in our society today. Kindness makes such a difference. A thoughtful word spoken, a culture of honour. And it can only come from being in worship, being full of the Spirit, and putting yourself in this book. The last thing, I think for us to serve our community and the world and to be pursuers of justice, it says in Micah 6.8, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. And perhaps for me, and maybe 
you would adopt these verses. Perhaps to me, the most powerful verses I'd, I, well, I've ever soaked up, really, Luke 4.18. And when I said to Karen, I said, I've got four points. She said, I bet I can name them. I bet I can tell you your sermon. And she pretty much did, actually, by about 90%. I tried to twist it a bit so she was wrong. But actually, she was right. But I thought that was good. I think that's a good thing. Because I smugly thought, and I've held off making this announcement until now, I smugly thought that actually that means that I am living those values. If Karen knows the four things that I would say to the church, that means I've said them often enough that I'm A, boring my wife, probably boring the church, but it means I've really soaked them up. And I'm hoping you soak up Luke 4.18. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to set the captives free, to recover sight to the blind, to proclaim jubilee, the year of the Lord's favour. And then, of course, you'll know that straight after Luke 4, when Jesus announced his public ministry, he didn't just say it, he did it. He, the first thing he did was he touched a leper. Who touches a leper? He touched a leper, he didn't just touch him, he healed him. And then it all kicked off. Beautiful stuff. So I've got this little thought about loving justice and stuff and serving our community and we've got stuff like cap is going to kick off as an expression of that and we keep funding the food bank and all kinds of different things we want to do but i've got this little thought and the little thought is this i think a truly kingdom church should have maybe potentially something of a scandalous reputation because of the people we're working with and the, and the stuff that we're doing. We're not ungodly, but I think a truly kingdom church might actually look ugly to beautiful, sophisticated people who don't think they need anything. Religious people, probably. But to people who are perishing without a saviour, we're the best thing they've ever seen. We're beautiful to them. Jesus had a scandalous reputation, actually, because he did things like touch lepers. Uh, and I don't know what the leper is in our culture. I don't know. Maybe it's the maybe it's the chavs. Maybe it's maybe it's those guys, the people that I work with. The message. Maybe it's those guys, the people everyone looks down on. I don't know. Maybe it's the addict. Maybe it's the homeless. Maybe it's the really super wealthy person who's gone through several marriages and his life is falling apart and no one loves because they're arrogant. I don't know. But I think there's a challenge there that the most effective kingdom churches are almost scandalous. They look, they look slightly challenging to beautiful people who are religious, but they look beautiful to those whose lives are absolutely train wrecked because when you come in, you find hope. And when you bump into a Christian, you find hope. I would love for that. I, I've told you this before. I'll finish with this. Two things. Uh, when Karen and I first planted a church on an estate in Essex, I got a letter from a couple of the ministers in the town, which I wish I'd kept in like a frame, actually, as like a trophy, because I thought, this is the closest I've ever been accused of being a proper missionary Christian. 
they wrote to me and said, we're very concerned for you. I'm paraphrasing because it's quite a long letter. We're very concerned for you because of the people that you're inviting into your home and hanging around with. And some people have said, uh, you know, you and Karen are spending far too much time with people who are doing things like commit adultery or take drugs. This is from church leaders in the town. You're spending far too much time with people who are sinning. I thought, that is awesome. I think they said that about the Lord. I'm like, that is the best, that is awesome, you know. And that's almost the reputation we should seek to have. And I remember another time, I came out of church one Sunday evening, and there was this massive pile of dog ends that of it had like built up during the course of the evening, like back ends, butt ends, and, and a couple of joints, all sort of stamped out on the floor. And I thought, that's so cool. Because like, people are coming to church who don't normally come to church. It's brilliant. Do you see what I mean? We should have a scandalous reputation where we are slightly challenged. That's what I think. We worship God. We make Christ known. We make disciples. And we live on the edge to bring justice. And let me just say this. While there are still homeless people in our town, on our watch, that's out of order. While there are people resting with debt they can't get out of, in our town, while we've got the resources to do something about it, it's out of order. While there are people struggling with addiction in our town, they can't get out of it, it's out of order, on our watch. I would be held accountable for it. I really do. I think one day we'll be held to account for those things. Or at least we will probably as elders that we make the right decisions so that we tackle these things. And it's all hands on deck. We've all got to get involved in it. That's our core values. This church was set up to be a rescue station, to see people saved from hell and their lives really patched up. I hope you're up for it. Are you up for it? Worship God. Make Jesus known. Pursue justice. And let's get stuck in. And then one day, when we skid home into heaven, it'll be like, man alive, didn't we have a go? Like, we've got so many things wrong. And it'd be like, like me and Andrew going, ha, 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 do you remember that time when we tried to set up that project and Lily bankrupted the church for it? And Richard would be going, ooh, ooh, my shoulder's going up, even at the mention of that. And we'd go, ha, ha, yes, but we had a go, didn't we? And look all those people who got saved. I went, yeah, do you remember all those people who did get saved and some of them turned away and we got really hurt? And we went, yeah, but some came through. Oh, do you remember that time when the church you thought he did this or someone got the hump because that person came in smoking a joint and I go, ha, ah, ha, but we're here now and so are they. That's what it'll be like. Oh, and do you remember that rich person we reached out to that everyone hated who thought he was God on earth and then he got saved and gave us two million quid for a new building. Hey, and we go, yeah, that was cool too. Come on, God. That's what it'll be like, <laughs> wouldn't it? be beautiful won't it when that happens one day and we'll look back at all our war stories and battle stories that's what this is about that's it that's what this thing is all about